You're listening to the Substandard Model. On today's episode, we look at why fish hold their breath underwater. And how putting E. coli in fluids can give them negative viscosity. Before we finish off with evaluating one of the many ways that animals can glow in the dark, jellyfish fluorescing in the sea using antenna. That's all right, whatever, you know. Yeah, I'll do. Uh, how do I start this? You know when you pour a fluid onto a table? No, I'll start, I'll start differently. You've got a perfectly <laughs> flat table at home. And... Okay. You reach over to pass your mum some food. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm and it goes onto the table. And you go, fuck. You know that? Fuck. You know, you know that? She's, this is it. Like, she's going to disown me. No, it's I'm not fucked. that. You know, you're fine. But, like, it's... it's just, it didn't have to happen. And it it, I don't know. It was yeah. a long day, right? It didn't have to happen, right? So it goes on the table. <laughs> yeah. It splurges on the table. But you, you can be comfortable in the knowledge that eventually the splurge will end and the liquid will stop moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose this sort of plays into the idea of, like, perpetual Ooh. motion because, um, you know, how can you have something that's touching the table whilst also not being slowed down by the table or losing any kinetic energy and thus continues flowing, Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can't have a situation where you're rub- you're pouring a fluid across a surface and it doesn't stop moving because the surface is always going to keep interacting with the fluid, right? But yeah. fluids stop faster than the frictional of the surface. Like if you pushed a, a, a lump of something that had the same like surface friction as water, and it weighed the same as water, but it was like a lump, right? Then it would it would go further than water does because water also creates jiggliness inside of itself that bleeds off kinetic energy okay and that's due to the viscosity of the water right. but there's a thing called a superfluid. i don't know why everyone started calling it super stuff i mean it is super cool but it's it got a bit a of bit, a thing hasn't it yeah super, super this super that super conductor super fluid right super magnetic super paramagnetic Yes, that's true. Color fragilistic, right? Uh, anyway, so superfluid is the is a, is a fluid which has no viscosity, and mm-hmm. so that means it can flow without losing kinetic energy. So you could yeah. create a vortice inside of a superfluid in the same way that you can like conduct electricity inside of a superconductor, right? And it will always keep spinning. So if you had like a globule of superfluid, and you somehow spun the inside of it right and then pushed it off mm-hmm. into space and it just sort of floated away from you then a million years later you run up to the superfluid and you find it and the vortice inside of it's still spinning right right as long as it stays the right temperature because the thing that's behind that is a quantum thing and i could talk about the quantum thing but i'm not going to because what i'm going to talk about is biology i was not expecting that yeah so Scientists put E. coli inside of a fluid. Yes. And simulated superfluidity using E. coli because E. coli have flagellum that projects fluid behind them. E. coli also Mm. tend to project themselves or move in a direction that opposes the local 
movement of the fluid, like a vortex inside of the fluid. Yes. Which scientists noticed, and they went, oh, that's interesting. So when I, like, jiggle this fluid a bit, the E. coli sort of swim in a direction that counteracts the jiggling of the fluid, and so propel the fluid in the opposite direction to the jiggle, which kind of results in a lack of loss of kinetic energy during the jiggle, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is the E. coli essentially are eating sugar, and when you jiggle the fluid, the E. coli jiggle the fluid themselves with their flagellum on the back of them, right? Their little tails that they swim around with. And that repays the energy balance that was lost in the normal fluid motion of the fluid, which kind of means if you look at it as a whole and you say, well, we're going to treat the fluid now as a fluid, but including the bacteria. So the bacteria are now part of the fluid. Well, it actually exhibits the face values of superfluidity because you get no kinetic energy loss inside of it because the bacteria are projecting it right and you can't see them and then they went okay cool so we're we're getting gradually less kinetic energy loss inside of vortices inside the fluid because of this bacterial colony that we've got swimming around inside of our fluid right well let's just Mm -hmm. feed them a lot like let's make loads of sugar in this bacterial colony let's really grow this colony of e coli so it's packed to the full of e coli and they saw as the e coli population increased and as the I guess, energy of the E. coli increased because they had more sugar supply and they could eat more, right? So they could swim around more. As that increased, they saw a gradual increase in the superfluidity like uh, quality. Mm -hmm. And they got it down to zero, which means they reached a point where the bacterial colony now inside the fluid perfectly repaid the kinetic energy losses due to vortices inside the fluid by swimming in the opposite direction to the vortice which meant that the fluid, if you pushed it along a table, wouldn't lose any kinetic energy inside of itself. So now flows further. In the same way, you'd have a situation where, ideally, if you keep feeding the E. coli, if you create a vortice inside of this fluid, right, with the E. coli in it, right, spin it, and Mm. then push it off into space, you'd come back a while later, assuming the E. coli is constantly fed, and it would still be spinning. Okay. And then they fed them even more and they got negative values for what was once zero in terms of kinetic energy, which meant that the E. coli were now propelling it in the opposite direction to the vortice created. Man. Is this this one of those things which is like so impractical that you never apply it as a superfluid or anything? I don't know. I guess you are putting energy into the system. So it's not... That unsurprising? Uh, it can be practical. Okay. It can be practical. So, so the negative values, like I said before, imply that the bacteria are induced to drag around a tiny rotor that could power a small device. So they're thinking that they could make a small pump for a fluid containing yeah. E. coli bacteria using this negative um, uh, viscosity quality that it has. So it's like an endless energy pump that's powered uh-huh. by the bacteria. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's good for like culturing and stuff. You need to constantly cycle the system. And when in biosynthesis, I mean, it's, it's sort of not really. Yeah, maybe it's sort of not. Practical. It's kind of solving its, it's just really problem. cool that bacteria in a fluid can mimic superfluidity, like in liquid helium. I mean, that's the fact, really, that you can mimic superfluidity by putting bacteria in a fluid. It's pretty great. 
Okay, we can just do this. We can just do this. I've been trying to um, figure out how to make this fact connect to another fact or connect to a bunch of facts on some deep... We'll find and, a way. You know, deep and personal level. We could find a way. If I just Google the Wikipedia for this thing, what, and then chances by... are, if I know science and I, and I, and I don't, there's a chance that there might be something else cool I can talk about as well as this original cool thing, which is Sam, cool. you're exposing how we do this. We just sort of find a cool thing. Yeah. Find a thing that's vaguely cool on the side. And then we talk about both of them. And then it seems huge when you listen to it. it seems like See, some I giant only... part of your life that you've never seen before. But what? How do I not know all this? It's two random things. <laughs> Wake up, guys. <laughs> you're dumb. <laughs> We're manipulating your brain into thinking we're cool. <laughs> I hear that. I haven't learned. You know what? I think I'm just going to stick this fact as kind of what it is. Um, basically, Henry. There's no pressure to make them like 40 minute rants, Sam, every time. I know, I know. Always, I know. Like, You're five, right. Minutes. I feel pressure to um, always be better than you, but I, maybe, I should, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, because um, really the bar's not that high. No, for neither of us. All right, okay. So um, basically, Henry, there's a shark, the hammerhead shark. How much do you know about hammerhead sharks? Quite a uh, lot. Their head's kind of like a hammer. Yeah, and their head is a hammer for, I mean, a lot so of reasons. Picking up, there's there's a, they've got electrical detectors on either side of their head, and because they're further apart, they can pick up more minute disturbances in the water. Is that the reason their head's God. spaced? Oh, for real? For real? I could probably list about 20 reasons why it's a good idea. Like the real question is, why don't we have a big hammerhead? First of all, it may have evolved to enhance their vision. Because it's ugly, Sam. (laughs) No, but the the positioning of the eyes allows 360 degree vision in the vertical plane. So they can see above and below them at all times, which is good if you're in the water, because things can kill you from above and below. So they get binocular vision and in close quarters maneuverability, it helps with um, aerodynamics. Allows more sharp turning without losing any stability. Mm. You know, it's like a spoiler. It's yeah. really good. Also, what you said, electroreceptory pores can be aligned all along the whole thing. So it means that not only can you tell uh, distance, but you can tell direction much more effectively. You can get better directional discrimination. And sensory pores are called the ampullae of Lorenzini. And they're like extra complicated ones that you Wait, get. So why is not every shark like this? Surely they would like outcompete everyone else. That sounds like a lot of pros. That's not actually the stupidest question. Basic, I mean, these sharks have quite specialized diets. They eat, well, I guess not compared to a lot of sharks, but they, they, they eat fish, but often it's squid, octopus, mollusks, or crustaceans, um, right. particularly, particularly other sharks and rays as well. So they, they, they don't compete for a lot of the same resources as other sharks, which tend to eat more like sort of free-swimming, shoaling fish. These sharks eat like stuff on the bottom. And then you've got great also, whites who just sort of fucking chill at the bottom, see a seal or a surfer, and then just end this whole man's career in one go. Yeah. They just, <laughs> that's great white in a sound effects, isn't it? That no, The noise of like a GoPro just becoming immediately submerged in the water. This it's noise of a GoPro a... becoming not a GoPro anymore. It's the, the noise, noise of, of a GoPro a... becoming microplastics. Yeah, it's the noise of a surfboard <laughs> becoming microplastics. <laughs> yes, sorry. No, sorry. So why aren't we hammerheads, Sam? 
Well, we're not Hammerhead. I mean, you know, the Hammerhead kind of evolved probably once back in back in the day, and they have a slightly interesting, you know, reproductive strategy, and they're they're quite they're quite high metabolism uh, for sharks. They basically, you yeah, know, how do you get a Hammerhead a, out your bum? It, yeah, I mean, it's a good. That's a good point, actually. I mean, there are there are cons as well as pros. Is the point? It's a good strategy, but you know, there's a lot of good strategies out there. But this my, my main fact, Henry, is about a particular kind of hammerhead shark called the scallop hammerhead, which is the one that you might see swimming around. They're the commonest one, generally. Yeah. Great hammerheads are about twice the size, and they're huge and chunky, and yeah. they have these big dorsal fins that are like really upright and cool and look like an orca. But um, scallop hammerheads are your typical your typical hammerhead. They did some uh, studies. They dive to about 800 meters, almost a kilometer down, to hunt for squid, because a lot of animals do vertical water column diurnal migration. You know, at night they migrate to the surface, and in the day they migrate deeper down. And that right. that, that migration follows ocean currents. I mean, it, it's, it's evolved independently in thousands and thousands of different taxa and thousands of different species. And sharks, like many other species, like whales, they follow that migration. Now, when a hammerhead goes down. It does something which you wouldn't really expect from a fish. When the hammerhead dives to certain depths, it um, there's no easy way to say this. It holds its breath. That's very sus for a fish. The hammerhead holds its breath as it. That's goes a down. little bit of a expose. It's a yes. Hey so... man, um, <laughs> since when? Basically, since when Henry. That? This lungs. whole fact revolves around this sort of what the fuck, why do they hold their breath? And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to try and grill as many theories out of you as I can. Oh, yeah. Because the answer it. is quite satisfying, but that's the fact. So this is this is the main crux of what's going on here, right? You are, so I, I challenge you, I challenge right. you to figure out why they hold their breath. It's gettable. It's is gettable. It, is, it, is it due it's to, because what, what happens as you get deeper is the water pressure goes up. Okay. Correct. Right. Is it to do with it? Is there, is there a change in solubility of the gases as the water pressure goes up? No. Okay. Is there a change in the thing? Is I'm asking general questions. I'm doing like an animal, mineral, vegetable. I'm honing in on your yeah. theory. I'm being a bit cheeky. I'm going to guide going you. I'm going to guide you. Theory. I'll give you. I'll give you. You know. I'll give you clues. Is it to do with? Uh, the fact that the gills struggle to extract gases from the water at higher pressures. So the structure of the gill can't deal with the, the higher pressure. The the pressure is not the reason. Ooh, no. Yes, I was hoping you'd say that because that means it's really complicated and not the pressure. Because the pressure is like the go-to, isn't it? It is the go-to. It doesn't mean it's really complicated, but it's not the pressure. It's, right, it's not going to be light because there's lack of light down there. Is it temperature? I'm trying to think what changes, right? It gets darker, it gets colder, it gets higher pressure, right? Temperature, I guess, could be it. As the temperature decreases, you'd expect an increase in the solubility of gases. So, so, so there theoretically should be more gas down there for the shark to extract out of the air. Like there's a big reason why heating of the oceans is such a big deal is because sometimes, you know, it deoxygenated the 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 water um is it is it to do with okay but why would they want to hold the breath if it if there's more gas there 
Okay. okay. What, what do you mean You're by close. hold their breath? Are they are they closing their mouths they close so they their got gills, free flowing they water over the gills? What, what's the actual action of the holding of the breath? They close their gills. They close their gill slits. No, no, no water passing over the gills. Gills are just hiked up into the body. Okay. So why would they stop the gas going over the gills? Why would they? What do other that? what other properties do the gills have that aren't necessarily to do with gases and gas exchange? Uh, cooling is that a thing? So, Ooh, so are they, are they are they are they getting really okay? So they because it's really cold in the depths. Do the do the sharks lose too much heat because they're oh. passing blood around their gills? So they yes. shut off their gills so they don't lose as much heat. He's got it. That's gills fine. are a place of extraordinarily concentrated blood flow for fish and sharks generally, right? You want to pack yeah. as much blood flow into your gills as you possibly can for efficient gas exchange. When you're going down to these depths, which can get extremely cold, having that constantly exposed to water really, really cools down the system very, very quickly. They don't have the you know, pros of breathing, but they do have the ability of not getting too cold and, and being able to function. So it's a, it's a balance, but yeah, they hold their breath so they can stay warm. That's pretty cool. I like. That. I mean, it's like it's a completely different constraint on on you know the depth and on on like breathing. I mean, yeah, it's it's anyway. It's always so, fun chatting about this stuff. You can you can have fun editing it. I will. Oh, there was another thing. Should we call it the Great Culling? Where I just killed. <laughs> Shit, we got to acknowledge that, don't we? We got to acknowledge the great color. Yeah. People who've just and the joined great us. Thumbnail. Yeah. yeah. If you weren't an OG fan, which shame on you, to be honest. If you weren't an OG fan, you you missed about this. There's this. Just know that there's about thirty hours of content that you're never gonna hear. Oh my god. I mean, this like uh, anyone who is really interested getting contact with us will be able to provide it. Um, I presume that. Already in circulation, there are bootlegs, pirate copies, rips. I presume on street corners and markets, you'll be seeing suspicious characters with sort of racks and racks of CDs in each on the actual CD is written in pen, you know, well, plasma whales. Yeah. In like, <laughs> and they're all like, you know, Charles Nell shoes. Charles Nell shoes. Like... <laughs> that's a great and one. I presume that's, that's where you, you should probably be getting your content from now on. Yeah, I used that's to have... primary source. I used to have Star Wars, like all six of the original movies. Not, I mean, the original ones. If you're born in the 2000s, which includes the prequels, because we're we're young, right? Um, right. They had six of the movies on just white DVD discs with the permanent marker writing. I had so yeah. many movies like that. Those were the days. <laughs> Do you remember when we watched um we watched the last Hunger Games film together? And the scene selection was in the wrong order, so we accidentally watched the last scene like immediately after the film started, and we, we hadn't noticed. <laughs> I remember this when I with Joel. I watched like The Amazing Wolverine or something. I can't remember the name of the movie. It's the first Wolverine movie. And it was one copy that had been released before they'd done the CG. So what? every single fight scene where they used CG, every bit which had CG, it was just the original camera work of them using it on the dummies. No. With the green screen, like they hadn't put the CG over it yet, it was oh, so enjoyable. I don't know where it is now, but I loved that with Joel. You know the giant ending scene where oh, they're fighting mate. on the nuclear power plant, and he like, it, I can it's imagine just a clusterfuck there. Like, there's nothing. Oh going my on. god! 
but you hear the audio. It's so good. <laughs> um, let me just get in the zone. Let me get in the zone. Get in the zone. Right, fluorescent proteins. Fluorescent proteins found in um, animals in the sea, like jellyfish and those shrimps. Do you know what? We'll start from somewhere else. Fresh slate, completely restart. Sam, cat pee glows under UV light. Yes, it does, doesn't it? It does. And why does it do that? (laughs) Um, Well, because it absorbs a UV light photon. It gets excited to a high energy level. And then pretty quickly... It lose it gets you know unexcited, but it gets unexcited to an energy level that was higher than the ground state. So it doesn't lose all its energy; it just loses some of its energy, and that some of energy ends up being light that we can see, visible light. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it glows, and yeah, the specific compound that it no, I say compound. Okay, it's phosphorus with oxygen generally, and it has a really large phosphorus content in cat pee specifically. But also yep. proteins in blood, other proteins in your urine also react in similar ways to UV, and it's all to do with electron cascades. Um, it's I similar. You it's like why you see blood. jizz on bed sheets and blood on bed sheets <laughs> and like sweat. Yeah, I was going to say that. There's all sorts of stuff, you know. You can you can find lots of things with with black lights, and it's always so funny when you go to a hotel room and you sleep on someone else's jizz that's dried up. That's so funny. It's so so funny. Um, and I brought that up purely because I want to say not all of these sort of luminescent proteins work like this. They're not all to do with cascades of electrons. It's e- even the ones that require incident light to be on them for them to produce a response wave. So they're not to do with absorption and re-emission. They found proteins in jellyfish. It is kind of to do to absorption and re-emission, but it's not atomic absorption and re-emission. They found protein structures in jellyfish and they were looking at them and they realized that the proteins could only absorb light from specific directions corresponding to this like spatial orientation of the protein. And then they realized that it also emitted light in the same specific directions corresponding to the spatial orientation of the protein inside of the jellyfish, which might be why you get some sort of shimmering effect when the light comes in from different angles looking at these jellyfish underwater, right? So they took these proteins out and they had a look at them and they realized that the mechanism of action of these proteins is not in an atomic way where it absorbs light and re-emits lower energy photons. It behaves like an antenna where the movement of the movement of charge inside of these large proteins. Do you know how antennas work? Should I just go Isn't through it? Like, I'll go through it. Yeah, you explain it. Yeah, like a radio wave, an antenna, we all know antennas as being like two long metal rods connected in the middle and the rods go out to either side, right? Hmm. When a light wave comes along the direction of the rods, right, which is why you need to move the orientation of the antenna to pick up the light wave, right? But But the key is, is you've got a metal rod essentially that acts in the same distance as the displacement of photon as the displacement of the electric field of light right okay so you know with a per- with a transverse wave such as light the displacement of the electric field is perpendicular to the wave propagation direction right 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 so you want a rod that's aligned with this displacement of electric field so a rod that's perpendicular to the propagation of the wave so the wave hits it head on right yes yeah yeah so if you think about the electric field, you've got a charged rod, 
which has got electrons inside of it sitting delocalized from their ion sam what happens when a light wave passes over it they move yeah like so they... it moves the electrons up and down in the rod yeah at the same frequency as the frequency of light yes nice. and then if you measure they the current up. through the rod you can see the frequency of the light that's incident on it and then you can make that into a tv program somehow don't ask me how anyway so you've got these antenna that pick up these waves via shifting electrons or charges up and down their length aligned with the electric field of the light that comes in on them right right conversely the way that you can emit radio waves back at the source they make the radio program they emit it they've got a giant antenna same exact design right but instead of having a light wave causing current which can be detected you have a battery that causes current in the in the in the antenna that produces a light wave because as you shift the charges up and down right. it the varying electric field of a specific frequency and that disturbance causes a light wave to propagate right so what happens oh. inside these mini proteins is you've got these sort of you've got these proteins which are small proteins are small right and they've got tiny weeny antennas in them made of atoms right and mm-hmm. the light comes in and it reacts with the protein in the same way as an antenna would. So it displaces charge. They're, they're and then what it does like is it re-emits it by also displacing charge in an oscillatory manner. So you've got these sort of vibrating proteins that work in the same way as antenna to cause bioluminescence inside of jellyfish, and it's completely direction-dependent. That's so odd. Really cool, though. That's, I mean, that is really cool. I mean, like that is that is a method of um, bioluminescence or I guess fluorescence that I I did not know about. Yeah, I'll send but you a mole view of these proteins because they but look this like this is an all new like doesn't require ATP, doesn't require oxygen. Type, you know, type way you know the beta it. strands of the proteins. Yeah, in these specific type of proteins, the way the beta strands are orientated. Do you know a finger trap? You know, there's finger traps like where you Chinese put the fingers finger in thing. either side, and when you pull it apart, it tightens. I know, I know exactly what you mean. I you know, know the exactly cross what, and I can imagine the protein. I yeah, can the imagine protein the protein has got the beta strands in the same exact formation in a in a in a cylinder of of beta strands, which are cross hatched with each other, just like a finger trap. And then in the center, it's got this special antenna setup. It's called the chromophore. Is the name of the? Uh... That's a good fact. You're listening to the Substandard Model, 